As you're turning in your Bibles or scrolling on your electric device, electronic device, um, to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 6, continuing uh, Jesus' engagement with how we worship and how we praise him and the practices that we take on as followers. Now, as you're turning, let me go ahead and let you know we've got a bunch of things coming up over the next few weeks right here at First Baptist Church of Fairburn. Uh, next Saturday, we have an opportunity to partner again with Suburban Woods through the American Red Cross and also the Union City Fire Department. And we need a few more people to say that they can be here to help out to just do some paperwork, just to make sure that everybody knows what they're getting. You don't have to install any so if you're available, there's a sign-up sheet out here at the welcome desk or see Pastor Paul uh, about that as well. But then next Sunday, uh, we have an event that you're not going to want to miss. And the reason you're not going to want to miss it is because there's food after it. And what I have found is that if you want to get Baptist anywhere, you put food in front of them and, and they will come. So we will have homecoming next Sunday morning. Next Sunday is homecoming Sunday. And um, they've asked me to speak, so I don't get a break from me yet. Sorry about that. Um, uh, but we're excited to put forward the future of our church as we embrace our history and our culture. So you, <coughs> excuse me, you will not want to miss being here for our worship services next Sunday. And then we're going to wrap up the month on Halloween with a trunk or treat. Now we're partnering again with the city of Fairburn. We're going to pull some other churches uh, around. I've already had one church, so they want to put a couple of uh, a couple of cars in the trunk or treat. So here's how you can help with that. You can could either say, yeah, I would really like to sit at my trunk for a little while and pass out candy. It's not any harder than that. You can decorate it. You can have a good time with it, but pass out candy for the community to come through and to be a part of what we're doing. And that's easy. That's an easy thing to do. Another way you can help is to bring bags of candy. There's a laundry basket out here at the welcome desk. Here, here's the deal. We want those that are providing trunks to be able to have help with the candy because, you know, candy can kind of get a little expensive. So maybe you can't be here that evening. Uh, maybe um, it's going to be dark before you get home, so you'd rather not be out that late. So, so just bring a few bags of candy. I didn't say one. Bring a few bags of candy with you uh, Wednesday night, Sunday night to help us put this out. I believe last year we had over a thousand people come through the lines uh, for our trunk or treat. And so people know where to come and we want to support. So this is a great opportunity to open the door further into our community through the church. So these are a couple of areas areas where you can be involved in helping out as we go forward into our community. So look with me, if you will, as we look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm not going to ask you to stand today, uh, but let's look at Matthew chapter 6 at three quick verses, uh, verse 16, 17, and 18, and see what the word of Christ says here. Remember, Jesus is speaking and he says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they will have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Father, we're here because you sent your son Jesus to die for us. 
We're here because as followers of Christ, we are your children and we enjoy your presence and we enjoy the fellowship of saints in a, in a church worship service. But Lord, what we really want to do today is to hear from you, to know your truth, to apply it to our lives that we could make a visible gospel difference in the world around us. Lord, this, this city and this community doesn't share the same hope that we have. So Lord, I pray that this morning your spirit would, would convict us of where we've been worshiping and praising and doing all these things really more for us than we have for you so that we can go out into a world that needs you and show them what true worship and authentic faith in Christ looks like. Lord, we love you. We love that you loved us enough that you would sacrifice your own son for us. And so we commend all these things to the name of Jesus Christ. We commend our hearts to you and, and we seek you now. We ask this in the name of Christ, amen. So when I was a kid, my grandmother used to use this phrase. Now, now my grandmother passed away two years ago. She was 97 years old. And she used to use this phrase, uh, it was called icebox. Now, now, some of you might remember the icebox. Granny would talk about, I mean, make sure you put something in the icebox. Make sure, and everybody that's under the age of like 25 is sitting there going, what in the world is an icebox? So, so let, me, let me explain it to you. Many of you may even remember having an icebox at some point. See, the icebox was basically this. It, you, you had this large insulated cabinet inside of your uh, kitchen or maybe in your pantry. And uh, once or twice a week, maybe more than that, depending on how big it was, um, a man would come by with this giant chunk of ice. Like, I don't know if you can see this or not. Hope I don't get in trouble for picking this up, but you know, like maybe this big and put it in the box so that your food wouldn't go bad because nobody wants to drink milk that's been sitting at room temperature for a couple of days. No sane person. And nobody wants to eat bacon that's been left out with the flies hanging out on it and then like, well, we'll fry it, it'll be okay. No, nobody wants to do that. So, so we figured out refrigeration and so the man would come by a few times a week and bring this big old chunk of ice and put it in this box and that's what kept your, your, your food cold. Now you think it's bad to leave your refrigerator door open now, man. You leave it open with an ice box, you've got a big puddly mess right there in your kitchen and mama's not happy. And we know how that goes. But see, then sometime along in the 1940s, some guy got this really great, great idea. What if we put an electric motor on this box and we run this system of tubes to put some refrigerant in it to make it cold so that it self-cools and we don't have to have the ice guy come by a little while. And then that birthed the, what we call the refrigerator. Now, we haven't really gotten over the whole icebox idea because, you know, that's basically what Yeti's based off of an icebox. We all still pack boxes full of ice and then put our, 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 our Cokes or our Pepsis if, we're, if we like Pepsi better because that's better than for you than Coke is or, or anything else. And we go camping. We'll put some meat or something in there and go camping on a camping trip. We still have these iceboxes, but if somebody, if you went over to somebody's house and they were still rocking the 1920s icebox, you're going to kind of feel like you guys behind a little bit you, you do have indoor plumbing right you're, you're gonna start scratching your head because nobody does that anymore no, nobody keeps all of their food fresh by having this big chunk of ice in a box in the refrigerator anymore Sometimes I believe that's how Christians in the 21st century of America look at the, the practice of fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting. Well, I mean, that, that's, man, that's something I used to hear about and people used to talk about, man, we don't really do that anymore. 
And Jesus brings it into this discussion on the Sermon on the Mount for the very purpose of helping us see, no, no, there's something to this. I, I believe all of us could admit that at times we've been frustrated in our prayer life. And last week we talked about prayer and one of the things we talked about confronting in our prayer life was distracted prayer. You know, Jesus' disciples had this same problem. Remember how many times he had to go to them and say, can't you just stay awake for a few minutes while I go over here and pray? They were distracted as well. But sometimes it's because we haven't seen the full practice of growing spiritually as Jesus puts it. So he says in this passage of scripture in addressing, in addressing fasting, he says this, he says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy. Jesus addresses this because fasting is a necessary practice. We, we think of it as obsolete. We think of it as something of yesteryear, yesteryear. We think of it as having to pick up the phone and asking the operator to connect us to somebody and on the other end, they're taking a plug and plugging. We think of it as outhouses. We think of it as an icebox. Something that was good for people back then when they didn't have all that we have now. I mean, after all, why fast when you can just run to Burger King or McDonald's and get fast food? That sounds like the fast we want, right? We want the fast food, not the practice of fasting. And Jesus says, whenever you do this, and then he goes on in verse 18 and says, but when you fast, I want you to notice with me the expectancy that Jesus has that this is a practice that we still continue. Now, I don't know if you've ever practiced fasting. I don't know if you've ever taken this on, but I do wanna challenge you this morning. And if you don't know Christ, if you've never professed faith in Christ Jesus, or if you don't have a growing relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, then a lot of things that we talk about today are like, man, that's just some religious rambling. It's not gonna make a whole lot of sense. So we've got to start with the gospel question. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Have I trusted that his death, his blood was all that I need for the forgiveness of my sins? And you say, man, man, I'm, I'm like President Trump. I've never sinned. Guess what? If you're breathing, you've sinned, period. Sin knows no office. Sin knows no political status, social status, economic status. If you are breathing, you have sin. David said it this way, in iniquity, in sin, did I come forward. It doesn't, he wasn't saying that his mama was some sort of a runaround woman. He was saying, I was born as a sinner. That's all of us. And so if you've never trusted that Jesus Christ is the only one that had the power to forgive you, the ability to forgive you based on God's holy standard, let me ask you why not? Because nothing you do will ever get you any any sort of status with God. The only thing that gains any status with God is faith in Jesus Christ and that status is beloved child. I don't know about you, I'd rather be a beloved child of God than one that's trying to work my way to find him somewhere. And so we gotta settle that question. And if you're on the, yeah, I've trusted Christ, I'm truly, are you growing in your faith? Have you grown, have you become a stronger, more mature follower of Christ now than you were five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago, 50 years ago? And it's the questions that Jesus asks us and where he challenges us based on our religious practice. Remember, he started off addressing the law and our ethical stances when it came to murder and adultery and lying. And those are the easy ones, but man, Jesus, don't start talking about my prayer life. Jesus, don't start talking about how I I help out the board. Lord Jesus, please don't tell me to put down that piece of fried chicken. 
But Jesus comes in and he addresses this as something necessary. And and let's look at a couple of reasons why. Because I know in our 21st century culture, if you've not been exposed to fasting, if if you're not one who's ever practiced the spiritual discipline of fasting, you're like, man, why, why do that? Why willingly say, you know what? I'm not gonna eat today. I'm not gonna do this today. I'm not gonna do this for a week, man. We, we hear these really cool stories. Maybe you remember growing up in school, you hear about Mahatma Gandhi and the 49 days that he fasted. You're like, man, that's great. Well, he lived in India. He probably didn't, just didn't have any food. No, he had food. He chose not to. You're like, man, that's just so archaic. That's so strange. Why do people do this? Let me give you three quick reasons why, why people fast. People fast as a way to seek God. People fast as a way to seek God. It's not that uh, you're gonna be, have a clearer picture of, of God because you didn't go to the drive-thru. The purpose of this is because there is an understanding that whatever craving you are seeking to fill when you, fa- when, when you eat or when you, when you go to that outlet, God alone has the power and the authority to f- fulfill without any regards to what you have put in your body. So if it's food, man, you get hungry. Everybody does it. About 10.30 in the morning, you've had breakfast and you kind of get that mid-morning lag. And I'm, I, mean, I used to hate fifth and sixth grade because, you know, you're fifth, sixth grade, you're going through these growth spurts and everything and for whatever reason they put PE right then you get in from PE and you're like oh and it kind of make your stomach hurt so much that you feel like you're going to be sick a little bit because it's just that hunger pain and everybody's like man why, why would you want to go through that all day when you can just grab a candy bar when you can just grab something to drink? it's because what you're doing is you're asking yourself in these in these opportunities what you're asking is for God to fill you the way that substance would You're seeking the face of God to be all that you need in that moment. And that's really, really hard. That's really, really hard. But people will take times, you hear it all the time, man, I I fasted for three days as I prepared for for this mission trip, or I fasted three days as I prepared to see what God would show me to do in my my spiritual walk, in my life next. And, And so people do this because they want to come before God and say, look, I'm not trusting in anything to sustain me, but but you. And another reason people fast is for spiritual preparation. People fast, similar to seeking God's face, but to prepare themselves spiritually for what God has. Remember Jesus, just a couple of chapters ahead ahead of us in Matthew, in Matthew chapter three and four, you have Jesus going out into the wilderness where he is fasting for 40 days. And most of us can't make it from noon to four o'clock. But Jesus for 40 days went out into the the wilderness to seek only the face of God, to prepare himself. You think, man, Jesus is the son of God. He's the king of kings. He's, He's the one who made all things. Of course, absolutely. And if it's necessary for Jesus to fast and seek God's face and prepare himself spiritually, the one who came from the Godhead himself, how much more do you think we we need it? to disconnect ourselves from everything, all of our lifeline in order to seek the face of God and have our spirits prepared. The reason I believe most churches flounder is because the people in the church don't seek God's face by fasting. They go on their own means in the way everyone else does it. We've got a good plan. The plan's gonna execute. We're gonna be okay. Jesus knew the plan. He was there when the plan was made. He was there when God said, there's only one way to rescue fallen humanity. And that is for you, my son, to go and take on the flesh and and bear their sins and die. 
Jesus knew the plan, but he still fasted for 40 days. He still calls his followers to fast, to prepare themselves spiritually. And then we get into the core of what Jesus says and what Jesus' challenge is, and that is for people to fast in humility. See, humility is the hard part of the fast. Look at what he says here. He says, whenever you do this, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. Remember, we've talked about hypocrites. He, this is the third time in these passages that he's, he's addressed hypocrites, play actors, those that pretend to be one thing, but they're really not. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared with y'all that one of my favorite movies is, is uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Now, Jim Carrey's not the Grinch. He pretended to be the Grinch for that hour and a half that you're watching him on your TV, but he is not actually the Grinch. That's a play actor. And so Jesus says, don't be like one of those guys that when this, the spotlight's on, they're this way, but really they're not. And he said, you can identify them when it comes to fasting because they make themselves gloomy. It says, they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you that they have their reward. But when you fast, here's the humility part, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting is not obvious. I can remember when I was in 11th grade, uh, the first assembly of God in Tifton, their youth, their youth group, uh, their youth pastor challenged their youth to do a 24-hour fast as they prepared uh, for a mission weekend that they were going to have. And so they put, he put the challenge out several weeks in advance. And, and there was a girl that I was friends with in, in high school. Her name was Brooke. And, and she was uh, very, very much letting everyone know that she was going to be fasting on this particular Thursday. And so for like three or four weeks, she's like, now, now, on this day, we're going to have this fast. Our whole youth group's doing it. And I'm going to be fasting that day. So don't invite me to sit at lunch with you because I'm going to be fasting. I want you to know I'm going to be fasting that day. She talked to all of her teachers. Hey, I know sometimes you have a snack on your desk during the day. Please don't do that because I'm going to be fasting that day and it's going to be tempting to me. And, and can I come and sit in this room instead of going to the cafeteria because all the cafeteria food is going to smell because school cafeteria food smells great, right? It's going to smell so wonderful and, 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 and I'm really going to want, I'm going to be tempted. I just can't do that. So can I? And so, so for three or four weeks, she built up and built up and built up. Now, now, Brooke was a fairly attractive young lady and she wore more makeup than anyone should ever wear. But on fast day, Good grief. Did she not look like she was the rattiest person you've ever laid eyes on? Oh my word. And all she talked about all day was, I'm fasting today. I'm fasting today. Meet me at Waffle House at midnight. I'm gonna have all the waffles I can eat, but I'm fasting right now. I started my fast last night. And you're thinking, what in the world? That's the picture that Jesus is giving us. Those people that want to go and sound the alarm to make sure everybody knows, I'm so holy, look at me. He says, when you fast, don't do that. If you're going to fast in humility, it's not about making sure people know you're fasting. It's about making sure that you look the same today as you do every day. So he says, look, don't make your face unattractive. Instead, Put oil on your head and wash your face. Ladies, whatever time you spend in the mornings getting ready, don't change it because you're fasting. Men, don't let that stubble stay on on fast day. If you're prone to shave every day, shave every day. I don't know if you put oil on your head or not. I, I don't. It'll just run right off and make a mess in the floor. But whatever you do to get ready, brush your teeth. 
Get dressed. Make yourself the same amount of presentable as you do any other day. Why? Because you're humbly walking before God. This is a matter of your heart before your Father God and seeking Him. And it's necessary. It's necessary. But not only is it necessary, it requires discipline. Oh man, (laughs) if you've never fasted, you don't know how disciplined you have to make yourself in order to do it. Now, sometimes you just don't feel good. You don't really want to eat. But a lot of times, man, you're going through a fast and everything all of a sudden seems appetizing. You go on a fast and you don't like seafood. You just can't stand the way it smells. And all of a sudden, somebody's got a fish sandwich over here. And you're like, oh, I want it. (laughs) It it requires some discipline. Jesus says here in this passage, he says, when you do it, the expectation is that it is a practice that we're taking on, but it's not one that we just take lightly. It's not one that we, that we just jump on and say, you know what, that sounds pretty good. I think I'm going to take that. Because the really reality is it takes commitment to fast. Most of us will say that we can't really commit to it. But we're a lot more of a committal society than we want to say we are. We're, we're non-committal when it doesn't matter, when it's convenient for us. But let me show you how committed everyone in this room is or has been at some point in their life. Regardless of what's going on in your life or has gone on in your life, six o'clock in the morning rolls around on a Monday and you get up. Not only do you get up, you go through the whole ritual of getting dressed and getting ready and then getting, if you have kids, getting them ready and getting them out the door to go to school. And then you do something called commute to work. And when you commute to work, you go and you go and you park and you get in there and you go and you sit in your cubicle or sit in your office and you listen to people talk and you don't really like the people around you, but you work there with them because that's how you have a job. Now you're doing this, you do it every single day. And the expectation is that at the end of the week or the end of the two weeks or end of the month, you're going to get something, you're going to get some paper, right? Most people don't pay in cash, but you might get a check. Even if it's direct deposit, they give you that paper that says, hey, here the deposit's been made. Now, you're committed to going and putting up with people you might not be fond of and a job that you don't really like because you're committed to making sure that your family eats. You're committed to making sure that your standard of living doesn't change, that you still have that roof over your head, that you still drive that car, that you still are able to, to, uh, to, to have this kind of fun on the weekends. You commit yourself and you go through the ritual and the habit every single week because you're committed to it, right? It's easy when there's some sort of tangible reward. And it's not just about the paycheck, it's about all the things that the paycheck affords you. The house, the car, the clothes, the food, the social life, and, and the opportunities for your children. And so you put up with the inconvenience of having to go to work. You put up with the inconvenience of having a boss. You put up with the inconvenience of traffic. And you put up with the inconvenience of this and this and this because you're committed to those standards. It's no different with fasting. Maybe the difference in fasting there is, is our commitment is not so much to the holiness of God and what God has laid up for us, but to what we can touch, taste, smell, feel here now. And so the commitment has to be a little bit stronger in order to do this. That's why I don't recommend that you just jump in there, man, I'm gonna fast just because it says so. 
Jesus says, hey, who among you, when you build a house, isn't going to first calculate the entire cost of building the house before you start clearing the ground and laying the foundation? Otherwise, you're going to get in the building process, you're going to run out of money, and everybody's going to say, well, I thought you were building a house, man. It's the same here. It takes commitment. But there's something secondary that I want you to understand. Fasting is more than just food. Sure, in its most natural definition and understanding, when you fast, it is a willing break from the consumption of food or beverage. Now for the Jews, that really wasn't all that hard because they just fasted from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Now, if you're a teenager, if you have teenagers, you know that in itself is a miracle. But here what we have is this understanding that Jesus is talking directly about their physical needs for that day. But we have so many other distractions around us that we cannot clearly focus on who God is because we're so plugged into everything else. Some of us have medical condition that would make fasting a a death sentence. And, and that's why Jesus isn't just merely saying, all right, this is only for the food eaters around us. I believe that part of our preparation spiritually is, has to be the willingness to take a break from whatever. And most notably, what we must understand and what we must discipline ourselves to, to fast in, in order to seek the face of God is to just answer this question. I can't live without I could never survive without, you fill in the blank. Maybe it's food. Maybe, we're not gonna go up the basic needs, food, clothing, air, shelter, drinkable water. We're not going there. We're going social media, news. Maybe the most effective fast for you is to take a break from politics for a week, a month, forever. Maybe the most notable fast for you is to put your electronic device down for a few hours a week. Maybe the most notable fast for you is to say, you know what, I'm not going to do the rat race. I'm going to take a break from fashion. I'm going to take a break from gossip. I'm going to take a break from phone. I'm going to take a break. You fill in the blank because we have so networked and committed ourselves everywhere else that commitment to God has fallen by the wayside. And we want to ask questions like, well, why is our church struggling? Why is the church in America becoming a deaf voice? Because we've forgotten what it means to connect with the holy. And we've sought sustenance everywhere else. Why is this important? Why is all this important? It's because spiritual discipline enhances our growth. It enhances our growth. Here in about three weeks, we're going to be taking Caleb to the pediatrician for his four-month checkup. Now, Caleb is the biggest of our three kids. I think he weighs right now what Addison weighed when she was almost two. But if I took Caleb to the pediatrician, and Christy was there with me, and we put him in front of the pediatrician, she says, well, I'm looking, and, you know, he, he weighs, he hasn't done anything since his two-month checkup. Well, he's a baby, of course not. But there are mile markers even in those two months that he must meet developmentally. His nourishment, his sustenance dictates his growth. And if we took him back for his five-year-old checkup, he says, you know what? He's exactly the same place he is right now where he was when he was two months old. 
Everybody will say there's something wrong. But we don't look at our spiritual growth the same way. Most of us are happy to say, you know what? I can remember the day I was saved and baptized. We went down to this creek and we were baptized. It was that cold and this preacher said this and this guy sang that and all my friends were there. We had chicken afterwards. And it asked the question, okay, well, how have you grown spiritually since then? Well, I was baptized such and such day. And I remember, we don't look at our spiritual growth the same way. We haven't disciplined ourselves and trained ourselves for godliness, which is exactly why Jesus goes into helping the poor, into prayer and into fasting so that we can learn a greater dependence on God to exercise ourselves spiritually, that we can grow in a greater understanding of who he is. Jesus didn't save you to leave you alone. He saved you, the book of Romans tells us in chapter eight, verse 28, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And I'm glad Jesus don't want to leave me alone. It depends on our growth, or it enhances our growth to practice spiritual disciplines. And you ask yourselves, okay, what does that mean? I mean, I don't know how to get into this. I, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. Well, here's the deal. When you grow spiritually, when you practice spiritual disciplines, what you're doing is you're drawing near to God. And when you draw near to God, fear is cast away. Fear is driven away from you. The book of James says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is the practice of growing spiritually. See, we all live in fear of something. We all live in some sort of fear and that's what drives us. Maybe your greatest fear is not having enough to eat. So man, the idea of fasting for food is, man, it's terrifying. Maybe you live in fear of not having enough friends. So you've got so many social media accounts that nobody can keep up with which profile is real, which one's a fake. Maybe you're so, so afraid of not knowing the news that you've got to stay on the phone with the gossip chain all the time. Maybe you're so afraid of not having enough possessions that you're driving yourselves uh, into madness with all of the job and all of the work and all the financial gain so that you can have this and this and this because you want everyone else's approval. And, and where's the fear of the Lord? Where's the fear of God? Jesus says, I'm calling true followers that will fear the Lord God. And when we are willing to say, you know what? I'm gonna take a break from this for the pursuit of holiness. And it doesn't matter if I fail. I've got a God who is greater than my failures that is going to carry me. And we're drawing near to him and the fear vanishes. It disappears. You know, there's, a, there's a kid's cartoon, Christian cartoon called Veggie Tales. Now, one of the very first Veggie Tales was about being scared of the dark. And, and the song there was, uh, the, the song that, I can't remember all the words to it, but it was talking about um, um, how God is so much bigger than the boogeyman. God is big, I mean, kids, man, they're, they're scared of the boogeyman. I want you to look under the bed, I want you to look in the closet, they hear something, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're scared. Oh, we like children turn at every fear in the world around us, but God, God said, just come a little closer to your father. Get a little closer to me and you won't have to be scared. I hate when my children are afraid, but I love when I get to be the hero. Because in their fear, when daddy gets there, it seems like everything's okay. Sometimes I'm not brave enough to tell them that I'm scared too. Because I want to be the hero. How much greater with God, drawing near to God drives away fear. Why? Because God is our reward. God is our reward. 
It says here in this passage of scripture, it says that everything that you do, that your father who's in secret will see you and he will reward you. And I know most of us would like to get that all state safe driver bonus check from God. Everybody, all of us would like to be able to cash in all those Coca-Cola reward points to get, you know, a free hat or something like that. And, and maybe God will give you something physical, tangible right here, right now. But what God promises is that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. And we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He rewards us with the greatest security of knowing who he is. His ever-present victory in our lives. But here's the deal about fasting. The courage that it takes to fast is not courage that we have by ourselves. It's, it's appointed and given courage. He appointed it to us at our moment of salvation to have the courage to face whatever the world throws because he's bigger, greater is he that is in me than the one who is in the world. So as part of an invitation, I want to challenge you to give something up for a day, for a week. I'm not asking you to give something up for a month or for 42 years. Start with a day. And, and I don't know what it is for you and, and I can't tell you what it is that you need to take a break from, but I can tell you that up here on the front, we have these cards See, the biggest thing about fast is knowing what the direction of a fast is, is to seek the face of God, it's to seek truth, it's to gain a greater understanding of him. So I've got these fast cards up here, forsaking all, seeking truth. What are you gonna give up in order to seek God more clearly? And on the back, it's got a commitment. It says this, I'm making the prayerful commitment to fast in the following way. Maybe it's a weekly water fast. That's I will seek God by relying on him for sustenance only by drinking water on and you mark whatever day it is. Or, or a single fast, I will seek God as I give up whatever it is you put in there for a, a day, a month, a week, whatever. A recurring fast, every week, every month, I'm going to give this up to seek God. I'm not asking you to fill it out and leave it up here. I'm asking you to come and get one, to pray over it and take it with you. This isn't a, well, I gotta turn this into heaven by next Sunday. This is, a, this is between me and God. Your father who sees in secret. Prayerfully seek him, prayerfully come before him and ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do to know you better? In just a second, Pastor Lewis is gonna come and lead us in a song. And as he does, I'm gonna ask that each one of you uh, come up and, and grab one if you feel led not under compulsion, but under the leading of the Holy Spirit of God.